Welcome back, bass players and musicians of the world at large. You are listening to episode number 26 of the Better Bass Podcast. My name is Wyatt Walker Ware, and you are currently listening to some uh, some groovy ambient sounds courtesy of my mostly new, somewhat new pedal rig that I've been testing out trying to get a solo bass show together, trying to get myself to the point where I can play an entire gig, an entire show using nothing but my bass and a series of effects pedals. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to stop the loop at some point here, so here it is. Anyways, that was some fun stuff. Got uh, lots of reverbs, lots of delays happening, some uh, some pitch shifting, some dynamic pitch shifting from the Chase Bliss mood, this super crazy, insane glitch looper pedal that I still, after having it and using it every day for weeks, still feel like I have no idea how the thing works. It's great. It's a great time. Tangent side, topic of the day... One step back to take two steps forward. That is a major, major theme of the creative process in general, I think. And something that we sometimes neglect. Sometimes we're just trying to push, push, push all the time. Do more, play more, get faster, get better, get better faster. And of course, that's sort of the theme of this podcast, right? Is how to get better at the base faster and in the most efficient way possible. But sometimes... The highest efficiency approach to practice and the highest efficiency approach to learning lies in patience and lies in allowing yourself to take a step back. And recently, I really have allowed myself to take a step back, and I will be the first to admit that I have lost a lot of facility on my instrument. I cannot play the number of notes that I used to. I cannot play as fast as I used to. My my maintenance is sort of lacking. My technique is sort of lacking. I've been making changes to my technique, playing with playing with strap height, playing with hand position, playing with wrist position, moving my left elbow in and out, trying to play with a little more of an upright technique versus the versus the sort of drop shoulder, drop wrist, drop elbow way that I've been playing in the past. And What's this has resulted in is some loss of uh, some loss of facility, some loss of the ability to run to run things super fast and super clean. I can't play that anymore. I can't play that anymore, and I have to slow it down to. to slow it down to that tempo in order to get it together. However, despite the little bit of loss of consistency that I've had here, which really doesn't matter because when on a show do I ever really need to play that many notes that quickly, right? Occasionally somebody will count off a tune at 300 BPM on a jazz gig, but realistically we're bass players. We're not expected to be able to shred over giant steps at tempo. But that aside... I'm okay with this little bit of loss of facility and this little bit of loss of uh, loss of chops because the technique changes that I'm making feel good. They feel right, and in time, I'm going to be able to get this stuff back together. I'm going to be able to get all of it back together, <clears throat> really get my left-hand accuracy rolling, really get it all up to speed. 
And that taking that one step back, taking this one step back that I've taken is really, really allowing me to get several steps forward in the process here. And I'm sure a month, two months from now, I'll be back to my usual, uh, I'll be back to my usual too many notes kind of shredding self. And honestly, performing lately, performing in the last few days, the last couple of shows that I've played, the, the, the places I've been able to get on stage has not felt bad. In fact, it's felt pretty good with the with the technique changes I've made. I feel a lot more relaxed in general. I feel like I can play for longer. It feels like the bass is easier to play and a huge issue that I've been grappling with for months now that I've mentioned on this podcast before is not having to look at my left hand in order to shift. Being able to go from the bottom of the neck to the top of the neck. I say as I miss two notes in a row. But being able to go from the bottom of the neck to the top of the neck without um, without staring at the fretboard and being able to keep my eye on the ball as far as the front man of the band or the front woman of the band or somebody who might be giving me uh, signals to go to a verse, go to a chorus, lay out, whatever it happens to be. And staying engaged with the audience, too. Don't forget about that. If you can uh, make some eye contact with some audience members is a hell of a lot more engaging and a hell of a lot more entertaining than standing there staring at your hands the whole night. Looks really, uh, looks really amateurish on stage, in my opinion, and I've been trying to get rid of that, so... Progress. Steps in the right direction at the cost of at the cost of a few temporary measures. But I think there's more applications of the one step back to two steps forward principle than just technique. I think it extends through creativity also. I think that sometimes really stripping down your concept, really stripping down your creative concept, getting really granular, figuring out what the essence of your sound is, what the essence of your music is, getting technical about it, what kinds of chord progressions you like, and maybe writing songs using only, using a very, very limited harmonic vocabulary, let's say. You give yourself, you give yourself three chords and a key, and you've got to write a song over that if you're somebody who likes to meander around the meander around harmonic cycles and through lots of keys when you write and naturally forcing yourself to be creative within limits as in that scenario is going to mean that the product the output is not a hundred percent up to your capability however you're doing an exercise it's a muscle it's a muscle that you're flexing here, and maybe it comes out good enough that you release it. I don't know. Maybe maybe your three-chord song comes out good enough that it turns into a real tune, or maybe it turns into a chorus or a bridge of another song. Something to that effect. Or maybe you just do this enough that you gain serious facility writing over simple harmonies, or playing over simple harmonies. If you're used to playing, if you're in a spot like I was a few years ago, being accustomed to playing jazz songs with tons and tons of chords and then being hit with a one chord jam and having no idea what to do or how to keep it interesting, you learn to work within those limits. You learn to figure out how to do that. There's other ways to be creative within limits. There's physical limitations. I watched a good friend of mine, a drummer, Braxton Kahn. We play together all the time. We've played together for years. I watched him play a 
a modern jazz gig, really all original music, all modern jazz with no hi-hat on his drum kit. Well, he had a hi-hat. He had a hi-hat stand there, but it only had a top hi-hat on it. It didn't have a bottom hi-hat, so he had no way to use his left foot for anything. And if you know anything about jazz drumming, you know that the left foot hi-hat on two and four is one of the very basic principles of swing and also of other feels too. And BK, Braxton, just absolutely destroyed this music with no freaking hi-hat and with one ride cymbal and one top hi-hat that he was also kind of going, going ding-ding-a-ding on sometimes in the swing context and crashing on and that sort of thing. So he had more than one cymbal color there, but holy crap, can that guy be creative within limits? And he's probably one of 10 drummers in the world that could crush a gig like that without a hi-hat right? That could sound that good playing jazz, some of it swinging, some of it more, some of it more floaty and some of it more rockish, but even playing rock beats with no hi-hat. How do you do that? How do you pull that off? How do you pull off a a backbeat without using the hi-hat at all? It's just incredible to me. So I've been thinking about how some ways to apply that kind of thing to the bass, being creative within limits Maybe playing a groove without using your low E string is a good one. Or playing a solo on only the E and A strings or only the A and D strings. I, I've told this story on the podcast before, but Christian McBride on a Chick Corea trio gig breaking his A string somehow, a broken A string on an upright bass. When has that ever happened before, right? Breaking his A string on the first song of the first set and finishing out the entire set playing on three strings with no A string. And now that I'm mentioning this to myself, now that I'm giving myself this, I don't think I've ever actually tried to play a solo using only the bottom two strings of my bass, so I just pulled up a drum loop and uh, I'm going to do it live right here on the podcast. First time trying to play over this Gergo Borlai loop. I'm just going to do something simple. I'll play over uh, about sunny changes in F sharp. F sharp minor, E minor, A, D major, C sharp half diminished. Nope, wrong chord. E minor, A, D, G sharp half diminished to C sharp, F sharp. Let's go with that. Thank you. 
play a groove over those changes in that key i realized halfway through that that not even halfway through that right at the beginning that playing sunny changes and f sharp is not even familiar to me at all so a couple layers of challenge there but that's definitely something i could work on and that's definitely something i could spend some time with and guess what i was doing that whole time i was staring at the fingerboard to make the shifts work right so i think i just found something to practice for the next few weeks playing only on the bottom two strings soloing, or maybe I just move across groups of two strings. Playing only the top two is kind of too easy, playing only the G and C string soloing. say that as I actually apparently can't do it so there's a there's something to do there's something new there's something to try maybe you could try it if you've never tried that before if you've never tried uh, being creative within limits that way giving yourself physical limitations then maybe give that a go maybe try to play two strings on the bass at a time or even one string one string soloing there's a whole um, there's a book I believe it's the Rufus Reed book. I believe it's the Rufus Reed book, The Evolving Bassist, that has a chapter titled One String Only, Please. And of course, that book's geared toward upright. But it gives fingerings and it gives diagrams and everything for playing scales and playing simple things just up and down one string at a time. That was just E major, F major, and F sharp major played up and down as high and low as I can go on the E string. Again, while needing to stare at my hand the entire time to not have to not have accuracy issues. But those limits, those limits that we find ourselves in, because creative limits might not necessarily be things we intentionally inflict on ourselves. They could just be a product of the musical situation we're in. A bad monitoring situation on the stage and not being able to hear yourself is a creative limit. Knowing how not to overplay and pull way too hard and shred your fingers when you're having trouble hearing yourself on the stage is absolutely working within a creative limit. Also, you can find a hardware solution to that, and that's why I carry an in-ear monitor rig around with me to make sure that... Uh, to make sure that I can hear myself always and I can continue to play light and, and make it easy on myself. But that could be a creative limit. Maybe a band that doesn't really like to take harmonic adventures. And if you're playing a, if you're playing a jam in B minor, if you're playing a tune that's in uh, if you're playing a tune that's in this key, 
and you drop in one of these chords and it's a one chord jam over B minor, then you get funny looks and they come up to you after the after the set and say, hey, don't do that, never do that again. Well, you got to learn to work within that. You got to play B minor, man. Put it on the one or, you know, rhythmic things. Put it on the put it on beat one. That's the original context of Bootsy Collins saying put it on the one. I'm sure most of us are familiar with that that interview, that video, but putting it on the one. Maybe you have somebody who asks you to, hey, can you please just give me the downbeats? And then you can't play all your fills anymore, and you can't play all your delayed resolutions and all your funny stuff anymore, and you've got a creative limit to work with right there. That's it. And right now I'm working in some creative limitations too. These technique changes, these things that I'm doing, every, every creative limit that we put ourselves in is a step back and then when we learn to work within that limit and we learn to be creative inside that context then we take two steps forward in our playing and we become better better musicians and we become better bass players so till next time that's all i've got for you today be sure to subscribe to the substack if you're enjoying the show that is betterbass.substack.com that's the home of the podcast that's the home of the discussion if you would like to leave a comment or ask me a question, I will reply to every question that is asked on the Substack. Betterbase.substack.com. Get on the email list. Get every episode delivered straight to your inbox. Right now, getting episodes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So hope you're enjoying the show. Let's all be better bass players together. And till next time.